You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. It's uh, great to be here, and uh, we're working through our series at the moment of the I Am's of Jesus. And uh, I am, uh, no, I am speaking about the I Am. Uh, that Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And we're going to unpack that a little bit today. A bit of a Bible study looking through uh, what light represents in Scripture and then looking at how that applies to us today and in eternity. Uh, it's a huge subject. I mean, the, the Bible loves to use light and dark as metaphors for good and evil. The world is dark with sin and Christ is the light that banishes the darkness. So Jesus says in John 8... I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Amen. Amen. Isaiah 60. Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. These are beautiful scriptures. They should stir us when we reflect on this. We have been warned, we have been told that the world is a dark place, and in fact is going from bad to worse, is what we're told. And that uh, is not something I should need to convince you about. Uh, you, you should be well aware just by opening your newspaper of what a dark world we're living in. But the light of Christ rises on us. <laughs> so we expect the world to get darker and we expect the Lord to burn more brightly in his church as the years pass by. So none of these things should come as a big surprise to us. What can we read about light from Scripture, what can we learn about the qualities of light? Well, we know in Genesis 1, 3 and 4, God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. And we know this, that light brings life. Okay? That's the first thing we can conclude. Right at the beginning here, God created the light, and light brings life. I know this just from looking out of my uh, window over my garden. Okay? In, uh, I've, you know, I've neatly trimmed the lawns and cut the bushes and made sure everything is where it should be. I'd like it to stay like that. I'm an engineer. When you make something, it stays the way you made it. Okay? Uh, not my garden. Give it a couple of weeks and you know, it's all bushy and overgrown and I've got to hack it all back and uh, carry half a ton of, uh, of stuff to the dump and so on. Because... It's great. Where did this all come from? Where did it all come from? Well, it came from the beautiful, miraculous process of photosynthesis. <laughs> well done. Didn't know you were going to get a biology lesson this morning, did you? Photosynthesis, the process used by plants and other organisms to convert light energy into chemical energy that can be later released to fuel the organism's activities. In most cases, oxygen is also released as a waste product. I would contend that it's not a bad waste product if you're going to make something. Oxygen is good. When we make things, we tend to produce carbon dioxide as a waste product. Not so good. But funny enough, when God's making stuff, he produces oxygen. It's beautiful, isn't it? Yeah? It's like sort of forging steel, and gold is the waste product afterwards. You know? Photosynthesis maintains... At, this is great. Photosynthesis maintains 
atmospheric oxygen levels, supplies all of the organic compounds and most of the energy necessary for life on Earth. So the light brings life. No light, no life. If there was no sunshine, there would be no life in the Earth. That's a beautiful thing, isn't it? Yeah? The light is the life of the earth. And we read in John 1, 1 to 4, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him. So we've just been hearing about the fact that through the light of the sun in the skies, all life on the earth has its being. It can't exist without the light of the sun in the sky. And now we're saying that the light of the sun in heaven, through him all things exist. Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And Jesus is our life. His light is our life. So just as every living thing needs the light of the sun to survive and to exist, so everyone who is in Christ survives because of the light of life. So we know that light brings life. We know also that light banishes darkness. Uh -huh. There's thick darkness on the earth, but the light of Christ rises on us, and the light banishes the darkness. John 1.5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Matthew 4.16, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Now we know that God separated the light from the dark, and he saw that the light was good. Have you ever noticed, if there's a competition between light and dark, which one wins? Yeah. <laughs> okay. The light always wins. Yeah. If I had a little shoebox here, and uh, you knew that in the shoebox it was dark, and I said, let's have a look at the dark, shall we? And I opened the lid. It's gone. I, I'm not stretching you here, am I, really? Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the light consumes the darkness. It's a beautiful, beautiful truth. Darkness cannot exist where there's light. Okay? It banishes the darkness. When there is a competition between light and dark, light always wins. Light exposes evil. That's what it does. It exposes evil. For everyone, this is John 3.21, everyone who does wicked things hates the light, doesn't come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Luke 12.3, Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Now that can sound quite a foreboding thing to say, but I want to submit to you that this is a mercy. This is a mercy to us, because all of us, we are works in progress. All of us are wrestling with burdens. All of us have got little pockets of darkness in our lives, and uh, we can be uh, overcome with, with guilt. We can be overcome with burdens of sins or failures or weaknesses. And what Jesus is saying is, look, you know, bring these into the light so that the light can consume the darkness. All right? Okay. So this is actually a word of mercy to us. Uh, you may find that you're wrestling with some areas of darkness in your life. Maybe there's been some failure, some 
breakdown, relationship breakdown, maybe you've done or said some things that you regret, and those are weighing heavy in your life. Well, Jesus doesn't want you to live with that burden. He doesn't want you to live with that darkness. Yeah? He said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Right? And he's saying, light in the sense of weight there. <laughs> he's saying, bring it into the light. Find some brother or sister that you trust and say, look, I don't want to live with this anymore. I want to bring this into the light. And then you may endure shame for a moment as you confess a sin or confess a weakness. And, uh, you know, you may endure, you know, Jesus endured the shame of our sin on the cross. You know, but we may endure shame for a moment in order that we can be delivered from that shame, that we can have the light flood our lives. So I just appeal to you, if you're wrestling with some sin, a, a brother came to me uh, after the, our morning meeting and he confessed a sin and I just said, I just want to tell you how much I respect you for doing that, you know, because he was brave enough to do it. So I, first things, things first, right, we'll pray about your issue, but first things first, you were brave enough to confess and bring it into the light and that's the mercy of Jesus is going to deliver you and set you free and he's going to banish darkness from your life. So it's a beautiful thing, light banishes darkness, Light exposes evil. Light reveals beauty. It's uh, amazing. When you want to look at something properly, you, you say, hang on, you know, can you get out of my light? I want to see it in the light here. You know, if you want to see the beauty of a diamond, you shine a, shine a light on it to see all of its amazing radiance. And there's something about us and about the beauty of God in us that is only revealed when the light of God shines on us. Yeah? When the light of God shines on us, you suddenly see us for our full potential. You, you are unrecognisable apart from Christ. Apart from Christ, the Bible says, you're nothing. You are nothing, you have nothing, you're going nowhere. In Christ, when the light of Christ shines on you, we see your full potential. We see the full beauty of what God has stored up in your life. And it is a wonderful, wonderful thing to behold. This is what light does. In the light of scriptures, we see ourselves as we really are. I had a young man come to my house a few days ago to fix a fence post. And I remember the first day he came into this building. I remember the first day he came into this room. And he was not saved. And he looked lost. He looked helpless. He looked disorientated. He looked fearful. And the light of Christ shone into his heart. And I looked at this man <laughs> as he was digging a hole in my garden, and you're looking at a transformed man. You're looking at a man who has been transformed by the light of Christ. You look at this guy now, he's standing there, he knows who he is, he knows where he's going, he's got a grateful heart. It was just an amazing, beautiful thing to see, the transforming power of the light of Christ in a man or a woman's life. All of a sudden, the true potential of full nature of this man has been revealed, and it's a wonderful thing to behold. So light exposes, uh, banishes darkness, exposes evil, but it also it reveals beauty. It reveals the wonderful things that God has created in us and made us to be. Now, let's really get into some of the meat of this. Light shows us the way. Jesus really knows how to pick his moments. We read that verse from John 8 earlier. We know 
It's, uh, it's always good to be attentive to the detail in Scripture. None of it is wasted. We know that it was a feast of tabernacles. This was, among other things, a celebration of the Exodus, the fact that God had delivered the people of Israel um, out of uh, the wilderness after 40 years wandering there, wandering, following a pillar of cloud by day, and by night they followed a pillar of fire. So uh, we also know a little detail buried in John 7 and John 8 that he was standing in the temple of women in the, uh, uh, the temple in Jerusalem. What that was was the part, the court of women was the element of the temple where women were allowed. There were certain elements where they weren't allowed, but this part of the court, everybody was allowed to stand there. And so he stood there. And uh, the, uh, we, we've just been reading, haven't we, from, uh, or just mentioned from Exodus 13 where it talks about that God led them by night, uh, by a pillar of fire. So this is what's at the front of people's minds. When Jesus then, I'll just read this quote I found on this. At the end of the first day of the feast, it says the temple would be gloriously illuminated. According to the Mishnah, part of the oral tradition of the rabbis, gigantic candelabras stood within the court of the women. Each of the four golden candelabras is said to have been about 75 feet tall, 23 meters for anybody who is still in Europe. Each candelabra had four branches, and at the top of every branch there was a large bowl filled with oil. When the oil was ignited, picture 16 beautiful blazes leaping toward the sky from these golden lamps. Remember, the temple was on a hill above the rest of the city, so the glorious glow was a sight for the entire city to see. The light was to remind the people of how God's Shekinah glory had once filled his temple, but also how God led his people through the darkness with a pillar of fire. But in the person of Jesus, God's glory was once again present in that temple. And he used that celebration to announce that very fact. He was teaching in the court of women just after the feast, perhaps standing right next to those magnificent candelabras, when he declared to all who were gathered there, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is the only light. There is no other light in this world. You're not going to find light anywhere else. You're not going to find it in any other ideology. You're not going to find it in politics. You're not going to find it in sociology. You're not going to find it in psychology. You're not going to find it in philosophy. You're not going to find it in economy. You're not going to find it anywhere else. The only light in this world is the light of life that comes from Christ. Okay? This is very, very important. It's underlined for us in 2 Corinthians 4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God said, for God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So, here we go. Light brings life. Light banishes darkness. Light exposes evil. Light reveals beauty. Light shows the way. Light comes from Christ and Christ alone. There is no other source of light in the universe, there is no other source of light in this earth. People will find light nowhere else. Wherever they look to, they're not going to find it. Okay? Jesus ascends to heaven 
And what does he say? I've gone to heaven. It's better I, go, better I go to heaven so that I'll send another, the Holy Spirit, so that now you will be the light. You will be the light of the world. In Matthew 5, 14 to 16, you are the light of the world. Christ has ascended. He's gone to heaven. He sent his spirit. Now you and I are the light of the world. Where is the light going to come from in this world? Is it going to come from enlightened politics or philosophy? No. It's going to come from you and me <laughs> because we are the light of the world. Okay? You are the hope of glory for this world because Christ is in you and you are his ambassadors, his representatives here. It's not going to happen any other way. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. It gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. How is salvation going to come from nation to nation? It's going to come through us. Because we are the light of the world. There is no other source of light. Are you getting this? Yeah. There is no other source of light. All right? I want you to really understand that. Okay? There's no other source of light for your neighbours other than those who are in Christ. There is no other source of light for those in your workplace other than those who are in Christ. There is no other source of light for your broken nation. Maybe you are here and you come from another nation and you pray and you weep for your own nation. There is no other light for that nation other than the light of Christ in us. Okay, it's not going to come by any other way. <laughs> Philippians 2.15, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. So the world is dark. Thick darkness covers the earth. We can't be surprised. Jesus warns us about this. He says he's sending us out like lambs among wolves. He's sending us up into the world to be his light because he is the light of the world but he's now in heaven and his spirit is with us and he said now you're the light of the world so we're the ones now who are going to go out because the light is going to only come from Jesus it's not going to come from anywhere else it's not going to come from any other source I just um, want to reflect for a minute or two I'm just presenting my reflections and my uh, considerations when I look at these truths here so you are entirely permitted to disagree with me, all right? I am not afraid of anybody disagreeing with me. You know, I just, I'm the one who, uh, for some reason, has the privilege of ranting up here for half an hour, and uh, you have to listen to what I have to say. Uh, so, but you don't have to agree with everything I say. You can disagree with me, and that's absolutely fine. But when I was first pondering this message about Jesus as the light of the world, it happened to be a few weeks ago when we were in the middle of having this referendum about whether we should be part of the European Union or not, and there's all sorts of discussion about what that would mean or what that wouldn't mean. It seems a long while ago now, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Everything that's happened since then seems a long time ago. And my reflection on that whole discussion was this. I am very grateful to God that Genesis 12 comes after Genesis 11. Okay? Well, that probably should stand to reason that Genesis 12 should come after Genesis 11. But in Genesis 11, we have the scattering of the nations, the curse upon the nations uh, at Babel. And uh, we know that the Lord scattered the nations and said, right, away with you. Uh, we're not having any of this nonsense. 
And then what happens in Genesis 12? He finds Abraham and he makes a promise to Abraham that through him all nations will be blessed. And uh, it's a wonderful thing for us to reflect that uh, in the New Testament, we always need to interpret the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament. We have a hermeneutic for Genesis 12. We have an exposition of that from Paul in Galatians. So he says in Galatians 3, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Anybody of faith in the room? Okay. We are the sons, daughters of Abraham. We used to sing, Father Abraham had many sons, but we had to be politically correct and say, and daughters. <laughs> so let's all praise the Lord. Right arm. You remember the song? Maybe not. I'm not going to do it for you. We are the seed of Abraham by faith. We are the inheritors of the promise of Abraham. Okay. And in Galatians 3 verse 8 says, The scripture, the Bible, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, Genesis 12, In you shall all the nations be blessed. You should have underlined that 20 times in your Bible if you haven't done already. That's one of the most significant and important verses in Scripture that locks and ties together the whole counsel of God that shows us that even as God was cursing and scattering the nations, he was already preparing his plan of redemption through Jesus Christ, the gospel being announced to Abraham that God was going to gather his nation. He was going to call out a new nation from all nations. And so therefore, what can we conclude from this? We can conclude that every nation will be judged. No nation will be spared from the coming judgment of the wrath of God. Why do I say that? Well, you know, from that perspective, the whole discussion about whether we were in the European Union or not in the European Union becomes, for me, a pragmatic and philosophical discussion, not an eschatological discussion. It's not a spiritual discussion anymore. It's just because all nations are going to be judged, whether you're in the European Union or not in the European Union. I, I don't want to be in the European Union because I don't like having laws pressed on me by arrogant, unaccountable, unelected uh, politicians who try to tell our sovereign nation what to do. I want to be in the European Union because I've got a gospel to take to the nations. Europe is the least evangelised continent in the world, and I want to take the gospel to all my dear friends in these other nations of Europe, and I want them to come freely to us so that we can uh, care for them, because in many cases their economies are broken and we can care for them, and then we can go out there and help bring the light of God to their nation that many will be saved and the church will be raised up. And so, you know, I want to be out of the European Union, I want to be in the European Union. I don't know what to do. God, what do you think we should do? God, help me. Should we be in? What is your sovereign decision on this? And so we see Joshua by Jericho. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him, we know this was Jesus, and said to him, Are you for us or are you for our enemies? Should we be in the European Union or should we be out? And Jesus says, No. In your translation, it might say, neither. In mine, even more confusingly, <laughs> Jesus, what sort of answer is that? No, I'm, I'm, we carefully worded the ballot paper. <laughs> should we be in or should we be out? No. <laughs> yeah? 
Psalm 2. Don't you love what it says in Psalm 2? These are, I'm just sharing this with you because these are the verses that helped me interpret and understand the seasons. Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves. The rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. <laughs> and he who sits in the heavens, he laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. And then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I've set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Brothers and sisters, this is my perspective. God is way above all this. He's way above all this. It matters to us philosophically and pragmatically and for all sorts of reasons of care. Um, you know, are we in the European Union or not we in, uh, in the European Union? But from God's perspective, I really think he's not that bothered because he set his king in heaven. And those nations are all going to be judged. People have said to me, we don't want to be unequally yoked with Turkey. What, as if we're a godly nation? <laughs> Where did we ever learn that? <laughs> we're a broken, fallen, depraved nation. And we will be judged like any other nation on the face of the planet. There's not a special place in heaven for Britain. We're going to get it in the neck, you know. Okay. <laughs> All right, there is a coming judgment on the nations. You can't rewrite Revelation. People say, oh, but hang on, you know, uh, EU is a bit like Babel. This, oh, hang on, we can avoid. No, you can't avoid it. You can't, you can't rewrite the script. Our nation's going to get judged. But there are those of us who will be delivered from the judgment. We are called out by Christ. We are called out from every tongue, tribe, and nation. Count me in, I heard the lady sing. Count me in. I am, I am delivered from the coming judgment through the light of Christ to be one new nation made from every tongue, tribe and nation. And the best political system, what is the best political system? Democracy is the least worst. All right? <laughs> okay, democracy says we don't actually trust anybody. All right, the best political system is to have a despot, a despotic ruler, that is the best political system. Okay? Oh, but Morris. Power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts, absolutely. But it's okay if the despot is incorruptible. <laughs> Do we know anybody who's incorruptible? Have you met anybody who is an incorruptible seed? I have! And I know his name. And his name is Jesus. And he is the Lord of heaven and earth. And all things will be subject to him and submitted to him and laid at his feet. I am looking forward to a day in heaven when I have a despotic ruler, the uncontested, unrestricted rule and reign of, uh, of Christ in heaven. We here, as the, his church, we are bringing heaven to earth. People have some funny ideas when you say that, well, about, about being heaven on earth. What I mean by being heaven on earth is we're trying to demonstrate what it means to try and live life under the despotic rule of Jesus, <laughs> under the uncontested sovereign rule and reign of Jesus Christ, because he knows best. I'm not going to argue with him. 
What's politics going to be like in heaven? You're not going to have a justice minister in heaven, are you? There's no injustice. <laughs> a finance minister? Come and buy without money. What do I do? I'm the finance minister. You know? We are here to bring the light of life. You can bring light into every part of the world that your life touches. Okay, here's the light. The light is in us. We are the light. We're looking forward to a day in Revelation 21, 23, where the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. And all the light of heaven comes from the Lord, just as the only light in the world comes from the Lord. You can bring light into every part of the world that your life touches. We need Christian politicians. But we're not looking for a Christian government because it's impossible in this world would be my submission. You may disagree with me and I would respect your point of view. I almost fear having a Christian government because we are all men and women of feet of clay. We're all corruptible. And then suddenly you have a government. You say, this is a government in the name of God, but we're all corruptible. I haven't seen any system of government in the New or the Old Testament that wasn't corruptible. You know, Jesus was another like David. He was pretty corruptible. You know? So I want Christians in politics because I want Christians to bring the light of Christ into politics. Yeah? Because the light isn't going to come from anywhere else. And you bring the light wherever you go and it's not going to come from anywhere else. Okay? So do we have any Christians here who work in the health service? Hands up. Health service Christians, anybody? You're bringing the light of Christ into the health service. This is the commission of God on you. Anybody working in education? You're bringing the light of Christ with you wherever you go. You're taking the light of Christ with you into the education system. It's not going to come from anywhere else. It will not, because the light of Christ is in you. Any stay-at-home mums busy with children and, uh, and trying to look after uh, their households? Any, any, you, know, you are the light of Christ for your children, for your neighbourhood, at the school gate. You're bringing the light where I can't. Yeah? This isn't a church where you all sit back and pay some specialist ministries to run around being ever so light everywhere. <laughs> you pay specialised ministries to equip you to be light because you will be light where only you can because only you touch these situations. I can't do that and Tom can't do that and none of the other people here who you know, maybe have their time set apart can reach the people that you are able to reach because you are the light of their world. Okay, you can bring the light where the light is absent and this is the, the commission of Christ on our lives. So, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. The light brings life. The life is the light of men. The light comes from nowhere else. It doesn't come from any other source. The light only source is Jesus. He has ascended to the right hand of the Father and he said, now you're the light. Okay, wherever you go, you take the light with you. And we know that one day we will be with him again in heaven where he is the light of heaven. And we know that that is going to be a glorious and wonderful thing to behold. But I just want to pray with you now. 
about what it means to be people of the light. So I want to pray for any here who, as you're listening to my words, you're thinking, well, I'm walking in darkness. Maybe you've never met the light. Maybe you've never met Jesus. Maybe you've never let his light into your life. Maybe you're wrestling with some hidden issue and you're just thinking, I'm wrestling with this and I'm ashamed to bring this out into the light. I'm not looking for you to publicly confess here. I'm appealing to you to turn to trusted brothers and sisters and say, look, I've got to get this burden. I've got to get this darkness out of my life and let light reign where darkness has had its place. Be transformed as the light of Christ floods your soul. And I just want to pray for you as well that you would be light wherever you are. I, I don't know about you, I, mean, I, I had a career in the, in the military and in the Air Force. I, I so often felt, God, I wish I could burn more brightly here. Let me burn more brightly. I wish I could have stood my ground when I was in that conversation. And I thought, no, that's wrong. I need to say something. But I, I gave way a bit. You know, or I, I just wish I could let my light shine among these men and among these women. And I don't say that to condemn any of us. I'm just saying I've ad- I can identify with what that feels like. And I just want to pray with us that the light will burn more brightly. Jesus, you are the sovereign one. You are our beautiful despotic ruler. We love to live in the uncontested, unrestricted rule and reign of your leadership in our lives, Lord Jesus. We thank you that when we were living in darkness, you came, broke into our lives with beautiful light, life-giving light that has saved us and now helps us to grow. We thank you for that light in our lives. We pray for anybody in this room who even now, is thinking, you know, I've never lived in that light. I've only ever known darkness. Well, I invite you, come to the light of Christ. Come and surrender your life to Jesus and let him flood your life with light. If you're wrestling with darkness in your life, dark thoughts, areas of failure and guilt, bring it into the light. We can help you be lifted from that burden. That can, Jesus says, I want to take those burdens from you and lay them at the foot of my cross. So whether it's today or sometime very soon, I just appeal to you, don't live in that way, don't live under that burden any longer. Endure the shame for a short while that you might know the long-term gain of living free and living in the light and fulfilling your full, beautiful potential. And we pray for every person in this room, Lord Jesus, that wherever you take them, they would understand the value of their presence. Lord, whether it's at uh, the school gate, whether it's in any number of neighbourhoods we represent, any number of workplaces we represent. Lord, we are the light of the world. Each person in this room is the light of Christ wherever you take them. I want to pray, Lord Jesus, that they would walk with security, secure identity, boldness of spirit, courage, just knowing that the Lord of light is with them and that he loves it that their light is burning, shining like a star in the midst of a a depraved and broken generation. So Lord, we just ask you, let your light shine in our lives. Holy Spirit, will you come? Let your light blaze in us. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. 
Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.